Okay, good evening, and welcome to the story of America. Now tonight, I'm enjoying myself a delicious glass of wine, listening to a little bit of jazz, and I figured that I will have a crack here at this. I got two episodes I'm going to be doing tonight. The first one, well, both of them are going to be continuations and continuing uh, the ending of Black History Month, which I did not get to do because I did not spend the weekend for the last two weekends here at home. So I'm a little bit behind schedule, but I wrote my scripts, so everything is all good. Let me turn this jazz down a little bit. Uh, turn it down just a little bit here and we'll get started here. So title of this episode and I'm going to go ahead and warn you right now probably going to offend several people but the fact of the matter is, is I just don't care whether or not you are offended it's just the type of person that I am I speak the truth and nothing but the truth and so if you're offended by the truth well, that means I'm doing the right thing. So the title of this episode is called Racism, Blacks in America, The Truth. So what is the truth of this? And, you know, typically, when I write these scripts, when I write these stories for, these, for the podcast, typically... I'm looking at 7 to 10 pages, maybe sometimes 15, 20 pages long uh, when I'm doing these stories. And a lot of them you can uh, say might be the same particular story just broken into different sections and I do different story, uh, different episodes based off of it. But this one, this one I did only two, only really three pages two pages technically because the first page is, mo- is usually just introductionary so three pages and the rest of it's just going to be all me just talking Yeah, I mean it's all me anyway I'm the one that writes it but let me, go, let me just go ahead and start off here and then we'll get into the nitty gritty of it and you can tell me if I'm wrong if, if I'm wrong or if I'm right of course I know that I'm right, no one's ever proven me wrong, but if you think that you can, I invite the challenge. So, blacks in America have been horribly programmed, and blacks have a deadly secret when it comes to racism. The truth is that blacks today are as of this moment the most racist peoples in America. Now I'm not going to beat around the bush or play like 
I care about your feelings. If you feel offended, then good. The truth ought to cut deepest to those living lies the longest. I challenge you, my black brothers and sisters, to name one race of people that degrade and stereotype blacks more than blacks do. Or find one creed of people in this country that exposes, that expels as much hatred as we do for other races. Maybe look for one race that has put as many barriers and exclusions to be of that race as blacks do. You will never find a single race that treats other races the way we do. Nor will you ever find a race of people that treats themselves with as much disrespect as blacks do. Let's go over the facts. Generations of Jim Crow and slavery never deteriorated the respect that blacks had for persons and for themselves. Blacks worked harder then on overcoming the most egregious of obstacles and hurdles and were rewarded more for their work than they did now. In the early American Renaissance, particularly with the rise of Harlem, blacks were more hireable and preferable to equally skilled whites. In turn, blacks participated in the labor market at a far higher rate than did whites. Black teens, particularly, up until the 1950s, were out earning white teens. Then when the minimum wage was first instituted by Democrats, it was designed to reduce the hireability of young blacks. The idea was that if white employees or white employers were forced to pay the same wage to whites as they did to young blacks for the same work, then they would hire solely white. In the coming age of the civil rights movement, blacks fought to be treated as equals and looked at beyond the color of our skin. Fast forward today, blacks fight for blanket superiority using race as the biggest weapon. Where our forefathers wanted to be looked upon as men because they were men despite their color, this generation wants to be looked at as black. Spare any concern for any other outlying characteristics, be they good or bad, which we may have. In fact, it has become offensive even for a black man such as myself to tell another black man that you are more than just the color of your skin. Blacks are the only ones, short of white liberals, to use race as a weapon, as an excuse, as a crutch, 
and there's an equalizer in this country. Blacks in this country are devoid of racial history. Not because it isn't taught, but because they prefer to learn the opposite. Or should I say, the fiction. You know, I was going to write more of this only being perhaps maybe three pages but this topic <coughs> I debate every single night so I don't need this paper I don't need to write this so I'll handle this on my own so listen Let me close this down here. We're just going to have a one-on-one a -on -one conversation. For the next 30 minutes or so, maybe an hour. We'll just have a little conversation about some of the problems that we have. So, I know all you guys have heard me say this before. <coughs> I'm sorry, I have a little cough going on. But I know you guys have heard me say this before. You know, I, I turn on the radio in the morning times. And as I have the radio turned on in the morning times, I'm forced to listen to... Uh, What's his name? Charlemagne the God's little breakfast club radio show. And... <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. And you guys hear me say all the time. In this show of this. Yeah, Charlemagne and his little crew, his little cohort. Combined, they're probably worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Yet, rather than using any of the money and influence that they have to better the black community, to teach blacks how to invest, to teach blacks how to make business, to teach blacks how to participate in the global economy. Instead, they use their platform to blame all of the issues that blacks have on whites. Save nothing for the fact that they are worth hundreds of millions of dollars combined. Some of them probably worth hundreds of millions alone. Then you take a look at what happened with Oprah Winfrey recently. She's interviewing Prince Harry and whatever her name is. And I'm sitting here looking at this interview. And they're talking about oppression. Oppression. You have Oprah Winfrey, a black multi-billionaire, interviewing royalty, two people worth multi-hundreds of millions. And they're talking about they are being oppressed. You're worth hundreds of millions of dollars, being interviewed by somebody <laughs> worth... <laughs> <laughs> worth billions of dollars 
but you're the ones that have been oppressed. Spare nothing for the simple fact of the matter that you have wedded into a royal family. Well, royal families have customs that have that determine the line of lineage, which determines which child born into a generation gets to become the crown prince, the ones that are closer to the bloodline of the queen. And since you wedded outside of the bloodline, well, number one, your mo Prince Harry's mother, Prince Diana, was wedded into. Princess Diana was wedded into the family outside of the bloodline, outside of the royal hierarchy. She was a commoner. So Prince Harry was already further down the lineage than, say, Prince Charles. And then Prince Harry goes and marries someone that's also outside of royalty. A commoner, which also brings down the lineage. Oh, this is some things that, heck, if you <laughs> had, <coughs> hell, if you had watched any Disney movie growing up, this is shit that you would have learned. Pardon my French, I'll bleep it out on the editation of this episode. But, simple fact is... When it is reasonable or not reasonable, blacks are using race more and more now as a weapon, as a bludgeon, to try to force themselves into every aspect and every facet of the world. And it is not a bad thing for blacks to be a part of every aspect of the world, but it is not a good thing to try to force it arbitrarily where it doesn't belong. Blacks in the billionaire class. Yes, there we need some. We need more. We have a lot, as is. But do we need more? Yes. But you don't force your way into that market by interjecting race. No. You create business and prove that as a black person, nothing is holding you back from becoming a billionaire. Not that you need to become a billionaire by forcing your way in through some reparation or... or taking over some white person's company because they used the likeness of a black person and their imagery. Those things are wholly wrong. Oh, I mean... I can't tell you how many times I would sit down in the back of the car I'm going to church. I'm going to coming from church. And I would just sit back and I would listen to some of the passive racist things the family would say. Well, I, I have never been able to figure out what uh, any <coughs> of it all meant. <coughs> or for any reason. Why we ever had to bring up race when discussing people driving. And we'd be driving down the roads and some guy would turn off and, oh my gosh, the swear words that they would say about white people driving. I, I, I never understood why we had to use those types of language. Why we had to bring race into any of the debate, any of the questions at all.
you you can you you sit down and you watch the movies you watch tv so like say for instance you're watching deep blue sea one of my favorite movies i like it a lot hey you're watching that or or if, I'll, I'll use a different example say for instance you're watching uh, halloween or something like that michael myers and some some sound goes off and they're like oh they're gonna go sell dumb white people again they're gonna go check out what happened now it's something that's very that's passive passive aggressive or passive racism something that we don't even acknowledge when it's actually happening but it happens all the time within our communities just passive racism what does it matter as a person that's going to investigate the sound is white or black it's a fucking movie <laughs> what does it matter so I have never been able to, to to grasp and bring myself to understand what any of it has to do with race. But for some reason, in our community, everything has to be about race. Everything. You know, when I was younger, I was told that I could not be a paleontologist because black people can't do that I was told that I could never go into politics that I could not run for office in Mississippi because black people can't do that and I always say who are you to say what black people can and can't do who are you to limit what a black person can do? Just because you're black, you think you can speak for all black people? That black people can only do what other black people deem suitable for black people to do? You see, those are the problems that I talk about in this show quite often arbitrary boundaries arbitrary bubbles that we are boxing ourselves into for no apparent reason except to not see our other fellow men and women prosper i would i would liken it to to the greatest jealousy that black people have a a great racism against themselves as a method of jealousy towards one another we hate to see each other succeed it's a shame but it's 100% true and we hate to see success happening within our community as a matter of fact a black person goes off and becomes successful makes a few hundred thousand dollars maybe makes a couple of million of millions of dollars they come back into the community they try to pass on some of that knowledge that they learned and pass it on into the community and what happens they get excommunicated from the community for trying to help told that they're too white to be a part of the community that they don't fit in or to the community but they're the ones that went out and made a living they're the ones that went out there Gains, gained some knowledge, became wealthy enough to bring that information back 
to their friends and peers and their friends and peers get rid of them and now you know you see on Facebook all the time where they always have these little uh, post these little uh, memes I guess you could call them memes or, or little pictures it's got little words on them saying sometimes you have to leave old friends behind you don't I have had the same group of friends since I was in kindergarten. I've never needed to replace my friends. And nor have my friends ever needed to replace me. And even when we were in middle school, each of us set expectations for the other that needed to be met. Not that we all needed to meet them at the same time, but we all set expectations for one another and our friendship and our bubble. And we all did everything that we could to help each other get there. This was all the way back in middle school, up through our college years. We had the same expectation that we were not going to be stuck in the middle of the country with no money. <laughs> uh, you don't know what hell is on earth until you have been stuck in the country with no money to get to the, to the grocery store or hell to get to work is expensive I know what it's like because I've dealt with it before having to spend $200 every 2-3 days to get to work from maybe 30 minutes away into the country but because there's no public uh, transportation system from the country to the city or you don't have family members that you can depend upon that will take you uh, into the city to get to work or pick you up from work you'd have to pay taxis or pay ubers or if you did pay people to go to work you, know, you wouldn't be doing yourself much favors I remember uh, the destructiveness of how black people are treating their kids as virtually uh, puck, uh, nothing more than, than a tax write-off. I remember when I first went to college, um, <coughs> the advice that I was given was to go apply for food stamps. I hadn't even gotten the job yet, but I'm supposed to, as soon as I turn 18, go get food stamps, as if that's some coming-of-age ceremony. Rather than saying, start a bank account, start a savings account. First thing that I was told was, apply for food stamps. Of course, I didn't. Because I had too much pride to apply for food stamps. Now, eventually, I did apply for food stamps once in my life. And I was denied, even though I, at the time that I, was, that I had applied, I was virtually homeless. And they denied me, they're saying that I made too much money even though I didn't have a job. And so I said, well, I said, well, f fuck you guys. I don't want your food stamps anyway. Heck, I can get the unemployment, pay my bills, budget, and, and buy food with, the, with fucking money. I want your food stamps. And from that day forward, I have never been on unemployment again. Never. 
I went into commission jobs right after that. And have never gone back. Even when I have hiccups in the road that come and cost me money. I, I went, went from working a job making 5000 a week. Went down to a job that was paying me $1,500 a week. Down to a job <coughs> barely paying me 2000 a month. But the fact of the matter is, is that no matter where I go, I'm still employed. And it doesn't matter where I go, so long as I continue to take what I learned from a different job to the job. When I was working $5,000 a week, I was working as a, as a RV salesman at a dealership. And so, and so I would, uh, what the, so I, so I would take the skills that I learned there, you know, my, um, my sales manager and the general manager, they, they taught me a lot. And... Before I got into that job, I was uh, actually working at H&R Block. I was a marketing associate. And what a marketing associate is for H&R Block is basically a solicitor. And <coughs> I would go from store to store along the Plaza Strip. And I would hand out flyers and hand out these different things to try to convince uh, companies to allow us to put our posters in their buildings on the, around their property, <coughs> have them come to H&R Block to file their taxes for their employees and stuff like that, <coughs> soliciting. And if you don't have a solicitor's license, it is illegal. So I'm, <coughs> I'm running around on the plaza. Well, if no solicitor's license, police officers, you know, I'm ducking and diving, running around from, from police officers. And then, when I wasn't doing that, I had these big-ass signs on the side of the road for H&R Block. I have these big old signs outside of the road, standing on the side of the highway, spinning these signs. And, what, I, she paid me maybe $10 an hour to do that. I set my own hours, I could work as much as I wanted to. The only problem is, is that my ex had totaled my car. So, <clears throat> the only way I could get to work was to depend upon family to get there. Was horrible getting there. Very horrible getting there. When I could, man, when I could probably get a hundred hours a week I managed to get maybe 20 25 if I was lucky to get family to take me down there before 11 o'clock and pick me up at a decent time but in that small period of time of me working that job I learned a lot of information And 
I guess what I learned the most was it, the importance of forcing yourself to be uncomfortable in order to progress. I think it's very important in our communities. If you want to get rid of this idea of racism, we have to force ourselves to be uncomfortable on the notion that we are very racist so that we can overcome this hurdle and get rid of it. I make myself uncomfortable and in making myself uncomfortable, it prepped me for the next career choice that I would take, which was being an RV salesman. I went into there, my interview was garbage. Uh, Joey, my sales manager says to me, sell me this pen. I looked at him like, what? You know, I was a I was a insurance salesman before I started that. So, making examples, teaching, teaching was very simple for me. The way I made most of my sales with insurance was teaching, teaching my customer what they needed to know. And he tells me, sell this, sell me this pen. And I try my best, and like he's not buying it, he's not even nipping at it. But he gave me a chance because he had been homeless before. He knew what it felt like. He gave me a chance and I sat there and I, and I absorbed a lot of information. I, I learned a lot. I made a lot of good money. Like I said, $5,000 a week on good weeks and not every week was good sometimes that five thousand dollars a week was maybe five thousand for the whole month so not every week was a good week because when I first started off I was so bad at being a salesperson because I have poor people skills I do not like people I'm very to myself but as I said forcing myself to be uncomfortable and as and the more I grew to like my my uh, co-workers, the more I began to feel comfortable around them, the more I began to feel comfortable around my customers. And the more comfortable I became because of how uncomfortable I made myself, the better salesperson I became. And I was able to close more and more sales and make more and more money well that job didn't work out too well so I went to the next job and this one was for lighthouse marketing for AT&T it was a door-to-door -door salesman job another uncomfortable thing for me to walk around and knock on random people's doors I don't even like people coming to, to come up to me when I was working in retail and I was behind the register well now you mean to tell me that I that part of my job is to go knock on somebody's door and try to sell them something that they don't want <laughs> 
and everyone that was employed there was black. You know, we, we had maybe four white people there. But everybody else that was employed there was black. Not that it matters. But we were all, you know, we were all doing there. And we walked door to door. 16 hours a day sometimes. Making $1,500 a week. If you make if you make the sales, it was all commission. And we just we just lighted up, and it taught me a lot too about how to interact with people, about how to take pride in the job that you do. But how to have a, about how to lighten up a little bit, you know. I was stiff, still am. I don't like to show much emotion. I don't like to show much expression. But sometimes you have to loosen up a little bit to get things done. If you, if you loosen up, uh, and and not take everything so seriously sometimes you have to take things serious yes but sometimes you have to loosen up and make light and make jovial because the looser you are the more inviting you are to other people so if we see a problem with the racial division between the two the whites and the blacks and the Asians and the Hispanics and all this stuff then we need to loosen up a little bit become more inviting on both sides of the aisle. People are more likely to mingle when you are more inviting rather than constantly pointing the finger, blaming and making them feel horrible for even knowing you. What good is that? They're not going to be able to help you if you shun them and push them away. Not that, not that it is their responsibility to help you at all anyway. And so from there I went from uh, I went from that job to another job. And this time I was working as a bellman. Executive bell. For the new Centennial Plaza down there on the coast. And I learned as much information as I could and I got good tips because I gave terrific tours you know of the, uh, of the property I learned the history of the property and when I would give people tours of the property when they were thinking about uh, staying I had to take, I'd take them around from the chapel to the oasis, over to the Grand Centennial, around through the through the mm -hmm. Blue Marlin, and around the entire 50 acres of property that we had, and I would just go through my the rundown, and I would this lay information on, but the part of it was learning how much information to give, and how much to keep, because you don't want to give them, you don't want to, you don't want to overload the customer, so. That, again, forced me into a lot because 
as the bellman or the doorman since I was at the door most of the time if I wasn't you know pushing pushing buggies around with people's bags on them I was the first person that people met when they come into the into the uh, resort first person they meet pants pressed shirt tucked in name tag clearly visible I usually kept mine on my left collar as opposed to keeping it on my ch on my chest because I didn't like the feel of the magnet on my skin so I would keep it on my left collar very seldom when I put it on the right the reason why I never really put it on the right was because the Centennial Plaza logo was on the right on the right on the chest so I would keep it on the opposite side of that but have my belt on nice nice shoes polished I would have my have you know good good haircut neatly shaven fingernails clean teeth nice and white and I would be there and I I'm not a I'm not a smiling guy but I would be there and I would smile and greet people all day make them feel welcome I was the first person that they meet when they walk into the building so I had to put on a show even though if it wasn't something that I was particularly comfortable with doing I had to make sure I put on a show so that they felt comfortable enough to come there and give us that money so I'm taking information from all the different jobs that I had and I'm using those to make me a better person I worked in a lot of different industries a lot of different businesses I've done a lot of things and I'm not that old but I've been able to do a lot and I've been able to learn a lot from what it is that I've done I've been able to see differences in white workers versus black workers I've been able to hire people and fire people I fired a lot of people I've trained a lot of people more than 750 people I've trained in my tenure maybe over 150 people have I fired or been responsible for the firing of those same people so I have seen a lot I have evolved a lot and I expect a lot I have, I have a I have an exceptionally high standard and expectation for blacks over whites over really any race of people I have a I have an expectation of blacks that is through the roof that very few blacks ever reach that expectation that I have I have I set the bar high because I don't feel that blacks need to be anywhere near the bottom of the food chain. But the only reason why they're at the bottom of the food chain is because 
our expectation is so low. We do the bare minimum to get by. Years ago, when we were projected to become a third of this country's population, we were out-earning whites. The majority of the black community was middle class. Very, uh, very few were actually in poverty. We were married. The families st stuck together. We were ashamed to receive government handouts and welfare. These things were looked down upon. Now, it's the opposite. There is no marriage. It's a, it's a Reich. A coming of age ceremony to receive government handouts. As a matter of fact, we're asking for more. There's no pride in hard work, dedication, family, love, and respect. So. When I, when I look around and I see everything that I am seeing as far as how race is treated by by uh, by us I'm very very disappointed very very disappointed and the fact of the matter is that we are disintegrating as a people we're using race as a crutch more and more and as a weapon to attack people who have nothing to do with it rather than doing what Martin Luther King would have expected of us which was to be seen based on the content of our character rather than of our skin color and likewise see that of our fellow Americans white Black, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter if you're the fucking Hulk. We're supposed to be looking at each other based on the content of our character, not the color of our skins. Yet here we are now judging people based solely on their color. I still, to this day, have yet to meet any person who is black. That has told me a reason as to why they vote for Barack Obama or any black politician rather than the fact that they were black. And it is not bad that we have black politicians, not at all. I think we need more, but we need to know why we're voting for them, not just because of the color of their skin. As far as racism is concerned, well, I mean, let's take a listen to this. Blacks called Donald Trump racist because the media told them that he was. When 
Trump has denounced racism. Oh man, so many times. I have a vi there's a video that I could play that, and just that one video, 35 times he denounced racism. But in my 26 years of living, the man who became president, Joe Biden, has said the most racist things and done the most racist things. And we say nothing. For instance, about a week and a half ago, Joe Biden on live TV says the N-word. confused it with the word eager now how often do you have to be saying the n-word to confuse it with any word yet alone a word that doesn't have an n or an i in it all the while reading from a teleprompter he said that Barack Obama was the first clean articulate bright African American he ever met and this is a guy who met Martin Luther King, Thurgood Marshall, Clarence Thomas, Thomas Sowell, Dr. Walter E. Williams. But Barack Obama's the first clean African American that you've ever seen. He eulogized the Grand Wizard of the KKK. Right now, this is 2003. 2020, he says that if you don't vote for him, you ain't black. So he can determine whether or not you are black or white just based off of how you vote. That's a lot of racial power right there. He can change your skin color. He said that black people have no diversity of mind. What? January, he said that minorities, i.e. blacks, are too stupid to use the internet to get vaccines. We don't know how to use the internet good enough to know how to do that. We can get, you know, our tax returns, we can buy a pair of Jordans, we can watch Hulu and Netflix and all that, but we can't get a vaccine because we're just too dumb to use the computer. All of these things exceptionally racist, but doesn't fit the narrative. Doesn't fit. Doesn't fit what the media tells us it needs to fit. So we don't care. When there's real racism that needs to be addressed, I do believe it should be addressed. But we can't just sit back and call anything and everything racist. Hillary Clinton was a member of the Goldwater Girls. They were an all-women's division of the KKK. Hillary said she was proud to be a member of the Goldwater Girls. Do I think that Hillary Clinton is still a racist? No, she said she's not, and I'm willing to give her the benefit of the doubt.
and let her actions judge her. I think we should do the same to everyone, regardless of party affiliation and regardless of the color of their skin. Judge people based on the content of their character. Let their actions tell you who they are. You know, I, I can go on and on and on, but I have another episode to record. So I'm going to stop this episode here for now. And we'll, t- we'll talk on this on this topic again soon. Uh, I'm, I, I might do a one tomorrow, but we'll talk on this topic again soon. Because, but I, I have to record this other episode. So I'm going to cut this one short. But tell me what you think. you think I'm right or you think I'm wrong? Here at the story of America. You guys have a nice night.